Hello, everyone. Welcome to your newest episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your host, myself, Laura Matsu, and my husband, Bernhard Gunther. And on this episode, we are going to talk about spiritual bypassing, a guide to spotting it and stopping it. And ideally, this is a guide to just spotting it in yourself and stopping it in yourself. It's it's very hard to, <laughs> to uh, stop other people from spiritual bypassing. So let's just define what it is right off the bat. Some of you probably already know, but I just want to be very clear on what we're going to be covering. So spiritual bypassing is basically when we use spiritual practices or ideas to avoid dealing with unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and traumas. And basically we use these practices or ideas to avoid facing developmental tasks that, and we use it to bypass our human experience. So in this podcast, we're going to discuss some common traits of spiritual bypassing. Why is there such a high instance of spiritual bypassing? Because I just want to point out that we all do it to varying degrees on the spiritual path at some point in time. Um, we're going to share personal stories about spiritual bypassing. We're also going to discuss some common forms of bypassing and solutions like, for example, emotional disassociation and avoiding quote unquote negative emotions. We're going to talk about the problems when you pathologize anger and make anger wrong um, and how that can relate to not having boundaries. We're going to talk about the issues with what the Buddhists call blind compassion, which is compassion without discernment or discrimination. And also this ties into this idea, which is a spiritual ideal of, quote unquote, do not judge. And what are some solutions for blind compassion and what's a healthier expression of this? And in the second hour, we are going to cover more reasons why we spiritual bypass, how this relates to uh, psychologist John Wellwood's idea of grasping, rejecting, and desensitizing. We're going to talk about the problems with premature forgiveness based on spiritual ideals. So a lot of people hear this, oh, you should just forgive, forgive people. Um, and that can actually be a spiritual bypass. And how can we find <clears throat> true forgiveness? We're also going to talk about the common spiritual bypass where a lot of people kind of get rid of their old self, even they're changing their birth name to create a new spiritual identity and how this can often relate to an unhealed inner child within and how to work with this. Uh, we're going to also talk about how spiritual bypassing often shows up in a lack of grounding, what that means, how fake niceness relates to spiritual bypassing and how we can work with this to bring more authenticity into our lives. And then lastly, we're going to talk about something recently we've seen, which is kind of what we're labeling as the conspiracy rabbit hole bypass and why that happens and what that could be driven by. So for those who are new to our podcast, we always have a second hour of a pod of our podcast and you can gain access to every second hour of all of our podcasts at veilofreality.com slash membership or you can just go to veilofreality.com and click on podcast and become a member. And I think it's like $11 a month, right? And for Correct. $11 a month, you gain access to every second hour, which we have over 110 podcasts, so 110 hours where we go much deeper. And sometimes we talk about things that we can't actually share on the first hour because as many of you know, 
there's a bit of censorship that still happens and we're trying to avoid that. So and just one more thing, I really want to thank everyone who leaves us reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. It really helps us go up the algorithm. It helps our podcast be seen. So if you could, if you do enjoy our podcast, uh, we would really appreciate you leaving us a review. Um, if you feel like writing something, you could write something or you could just go there and leave a review um, based on a rating alone. And it just helps our podcast reach more people, helps other people find out about us. So for those who have already done this, we really appreciate all the comments you've left and thank you so much. And if you appreciate our podcast, we would really appreciate leaving us a review. So let's just go into um, the first, like, so let's just kind of clarify this definition of spiritual bypassing. So the two people who have really spoken about this the most that I know of is John Wellwood, who is a Buddhist and also a psychotherapist who coined the term sometime in the 80s, where he basically, through being involved in Buddhist communities, saw that a lot of people were using spiritual practices and spiritual ideas to bypass their psychological issues. And another person as well named Robert Augustus Masters wrote a book called... Um, what was the book actually called? I it think was, it was called Spiritual Bypassing. Yeah, no? it was called Spiritual Bypassing or something with the word spiritual bypassing in it. And he wrote another book uh, based off of John Wellwood's coin, coining of the term. So I'm going to just quote what John Wellwood um, says about it. And he says, when we are spiritually bypassing, we often use the goal of awakening or liberation to rationalize what I call premature transcendence, trying to rise above the raw and messy side of our humanness before we have fully faced and made peace with it. And then we tend to use absolute truths to disparage or dismiss relative human needs, feelings, psychological problems, relational difficulties, and developmental Deficit. So you can use a truth like all is one to like justify anything in your life, including abuse. And you can use all of these higher spiritual truths. He's basically saying to deny your own human needs, feelings, problems. Um, and before we go into the traits of bypassing, I want to point out something that both I think John Wellwood as well as Robert Augustus Masters have said about this, that getting like realizing your spiritual bypassing cannot be can sometimes not be a comfortable feeling it can feel it can bring up shame it can bring up a feeling like i'm doing something wrong or i've caught myself doing something i'm not supposed to do we can have a very strong inner critic that can begin to attack us or disparage us for doing so so i want to just point out that there's a really important it's really important to be compassionate with yourself and curious about the way that you do it. I also want to point out that I would argue that 99.99% of people do this to various degrees. We'll go into later in the podcast why it's so easy to do this. So we all have our different ways of spiritual bypassing and there's lesser forms of it and there's greater forms of it. So we all do it. 
we can look at it really honestly and directly and we can help ourselves because we really want to awaken in an embodied way. We have to include these other dimensions of our personality, including our psychological problems, including our relational difficulties. And that will actually help us bring some of these spiritual concepts into our relationships in a practical way rather than using them as a bypass. So looking at our spiritual bypassing with curiosity and compassion can really help us on the path of awakening. So I just want to point that out, that it's really important to be curious and compassionate to any feelings that come up as you listen to this podcast, as you reflect on your own life, because it's not, we, we all do this from time to time. It all, it, it's a normal thing. And we just want to have a good conversation about it because we think it's important. So yeah, definitely be honest, uh, compassionate and gentle with yourself, but also honest with yourself, because an aspect of spiritual bypassing is that people can easily over quote unquote estimate their level of awareness and rationalize or lie to themselves about their state of awareness or why they do these practices. But I want to now list some of the very most common traits of spiritual bypassing that are really, um, like Laura said, we all have done it. I've engaged in them, Laura as well. Most people do uh, it without actually being aware of it. So the number one that really stands out is an exaggerated detachment and disassociation, which is a big one because we live in the world where most of us, most people are disassociated. So how does this relate to spiritual bypassing or spiritual practice? Well, one aspect of high level of spiritual awareness or being is having more objective view of the world of oneself, not being that much affected, non-reactive consciousness. But that still needs to come in from an embodied place. So we can easily mistake this higher state of consciousness by disassociating, as most people are, because why they're disassociated, trauma, childhood wounding, or using spiritual practices to get out of body, disassociate, rather than really engaging, being present in life. Another one is the most obvious one is bypassing necessary psychological work in favor of a spiritual practice, right? And we will talk about this as well, what Laura mentioned. A lot of times we have people engage in spiritual practices just to feel better, to avoid pain, instead of like really confronting that which needs to be transformed within through a deeper psychological uh, approach, so to speak. Um, then, as I just mentioned, yes, using spiritual practices to strengthen disassociation that is uh, probably then from unresolved trauma. Like I mentioned, best example, meditation. Just meditating even for hours, doesn't mean anything. Question is, how did you meditate? Were you actually present within not only your mind, your body somatically and really going deeper within or were you just disassociating? Um, another one is emotional numbing and repression, right? When we judge, like Laura said as before, certain emotions as bad, we shouldn't feel like this because it's not spiritual. So we emotionally numb ourselves and repress emotions instead of transforming them and transmuting them. That's a lot of issues, especially in spiritual practices, because we kind of want to come to a higher state of being, experiencing higher emotions, so to speak, on a higher level. Uh, but we need to transform the lower unconscious, so to speak, our shadow. We, and most people then engage in spiritual practices and suppress these emotions rather than transforming them. Overemphasis on the positive. We see this in the New Age. All love and light, you know, this forced positivity, which ties into anger phobia. People are phobic of, have afraid of being anger, angry or conflict phobia, or they judge anger. Conflict is something bad. And that results in 
in, in kind of contrived form of positivity. And you can see this then playing out. A lot of quote-unquote spiritual or new age type people become uh, or show sound signs of passive aggressiveness. <laughs> That's kind of how it bleeds through. Um, blind or overly tolerant compassion. Yes, we need to compassion, but not blind compassion. We'll talk about this shortly. We, because if you're compassionate with an abuser con constantly, even thinking all is one, he's just part of myself, then you will have weak boundaries, lack of boundaries. Or lopsided development, which means an intellectual understanding of spiritual ideas without being psychologically and emotionally intelligent or self-aware. This is a very big one as well, especially when you read spiritual literature. You, maybe part of you, your true self, your inner self, really resonates with something. And then because you intellectually kind of grasp it, you think you have embodied it and live it, but uh, it's just an intellectual one-sided development. Um, then the most obvious, as Laura hinted as well, is abusing spiritual higher truths, right? And distorting them and oversimplifying them such as always think positive, all is one. Yeah, we're all one from this higher perspective, but in this level of reality where we live in our human experience, we are all different and evil is very real, right? And we need to make boundaries and not just have these uh, lack of boundaries, for example. Another one is very common in spirituality, all is an illusion, nothing matters anyway, right? From a higher perspective, there's truth in that, but that also, when you apply that in in this level of reality from a spiritual bypass perspective, then you don't take any responsibility, you don't care, and, and all these kind of things. Uh, moving on, devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual, right? Again, that ties again with also abusing higher spiritual truths. And we need to honor our human experience in, in all levels. And using spiritual truths as an excuse not to take care of your physical life, or bypass certain issues happening in your personal life. Very, very big one, right? Uh, that ties also a little bit in, somewhat into the matrix poverty program, so to speak, because there's a whole religious, spiritual, distorted program that has demonized money or material, material possession. And in order to be spiritual, you need to uh, not have any money, be bare naked and reject all materialism. And that can then result into not taking responsibility for everyday affairs and Maybe you start to leech off of others and all these kind of things. So we can easily abuse spiritual truths of uh, and resulting in not taking care of our everyday life and everyday responsibilities. Even of simple things of having a roof over your head, a job, an income, and really taking self-responsibility on, on the grounded foundation. That's the key point. Spiritual bypassing is also a result of really not taking care of your first physical everyday life and existence and really being able to take care of yourself. And lastly, that's a big one. I've mentioned that before. Delusions of having arrived at a higher level of being than you actually are, a high level of awareness, right? That's a very, very big one. Even if you're deeper in spiritual work and have certain experiences, the ego is always there to hijack these experiences for its own self-importance, right? And then you feel good about yourselves. Maybe the superiority complex comes in. You feel more awake and aware than others. You look down on others. So these are all these traps of spiritual bypassing. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> so that was also from Robert Augustus Masters, mainly with our own notes added on to it as well. Um, and I just want to also talk about why do we spiritual bypass? So in short, it has to do that 
we're of avoidance of pain. So the more pain, pain we are carrying from unresolved psychological issues, childhood wounds, the greater the tendency to bypass. So, and I'll quote mas masters about on what he says about this. And he says, part of the reason for this is that we tend not to have very much tolerance either personally or collectively for facing, entering and working through our pain strongly preferring pain numbing quote solutions regardless of how much suffering such quote remedies may catalyze so he puts it in quotes because he's they're not really solutions or remedies and then he goes on to continue because this preference has so deeply and thoroughly infiltrated our culture that it has become all but normalized spiritual bypassing fits almost seamlessly into our collective habit of turning away from what is painful as a kind of higher analgesic analgesic with seemingly minimal side effects. It is a spiritualized strategy, not only for avoiding pain, but also for legitimizing such avoidance in ways ranging from the blatantly obvious to the extremely subtle. So what he's basically pointing out is we live in a culture where we strongly tend to prefer strategies that numb our pain rather than going into the pain and facing it and working through it. So this shows up in the various addictions we have in our culture from alcohol to pot, to all sorts of substances, pharmaceuticals, to social media, to sex, to, you know, ev everyone has certain addictions that they compulsively are drawn towards when they're feeling pain. So he's basically saying that we have this almost spiritualized strategy um, to doing the same things that we do in our culture anyway. And I've definitely seen that in my own life. I've seen that in a lot of people that I've encountered that in general, the average person is not comfortable with facing and working through pain. That's why we these solutions are such big industries. You gonna yeah. say something? Yeah, no. The, this is such a profound point because spiritual bypassing, in that sense, like he talks about, literally fits perfectly into the zeitgeist of the culture in right now, in general, because it's the endless pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, and even our whole f medical system, like you said, even mental health system, just give him Prozac or antidepressants, SSRI, just numb and disassociate uh, painkillers, all of that, and just avoid, avoid, avoid. And from a psychological perspective, that just increases the shadow within it, it suppresses more, which also creates more chaos and havoc in the collective, because the unconscious uh, collective is tied to our own personal unconscious. Whatever we suppress has to come out in some way, and it most often comes out in chaos, even wars, all kinds of pathologies. But the whole idea of spiritual bypassing, it really fits into the way people approach life, and it's almost... Um, that's not almost, it is very much supported where pathologies have become normalized. Yeah. So basically the, the, the mindset when people engage with spiritual practices is the same mindset that they engage in many of these numbing and addictive habits. So they go into, or they enter into the spiritual path, or they start engaging with certain practices with the idea that these spiritual practices are supposed to give them a high and they're supposed to make us that make them feel all these positive emotions like love and peace and bliss all the time. So they're engaging with the spiritual practice with an addictive mindset. Mm. And when they don't give these positive feelings, that means that they're doing something wrong. I've even seen it go further as, I mean, I'm sure many of you have seen this. We call it, we did a podcast about this, about the um, 
Christian or sorry, the new age to dogmatic Christian pipeline. Yes. And for those who have seen people sharing their stories, there's a very common story that people share where they basically say, oh, I was doing tarot and astrology and breath work and meditation. And I just felt more anxious and more depressed than ever. And then they make the conclusion that this is because these are demonic practices and that's why they were feeling depressed. And then they found Jesus and then everything was fine. But what I've argued is that they've just traded one form of spiritual bypassing for another because they're engaging with number one, like tarot cards and astrology is not enough to help you realize your true nature. <laughs> um, but besides that is that they're engaging with the practices with this misguided belief that they're supposed to just feel positive emotions. And then if they feel anxiety or depression, they take it as a, not only as a sign that something has gone wrong, but they take it as a sign, oh, this is demonic. And then they project all their anxiety and depression onto this idea that it's just demonic, period. And then engaging with Christianity in the same way that this is just going to make me feel good and I'm saved. Yes. I'm just going to call myself a Christian. So they traded one form of spiritual bypassing for another kind, another more socially acceptable religious kind. So as long as you're using any spiritual practices or even beliefs or ideas as a drug, meaning to tranquilize and numb you instead of awakening you. And awakening can sometimes be a messy journey. You know, your spiritual pra practice could bring up deep trauma, can bring up really uncomfortable emotions. And that's actually when you're getting somewhere interesting. So I just want to point that out that just because anxiety, depression, rage, whatever, grief comes up, that's actually a sign that something you're digging up something important and to stay with it actually. That, that's, that's actually very important. It's not only, uh, here's my measure based on some personal experience. If you engage in spiritual practice, let's say meditation, for example, and a lot of like anxiety, anger, or shame, guilt, sadness comes up, it means you're doing a good job. You're doing it the right way. Something opens up, something needs you to transform. It's based on the law of Ascend and descend. We have talked about this before, right? And this whole illusion of pop spirituality, new age, even religious teachings that you always go higher to higher levels of being and awakening and and all up in the love and light bubble. But no, the unconscious, the lower realm, the shadow needs to be cleared and sh put light, shine light into. So all the stuff what you've suppressed, what you've never really confronted, needs to come out and will come out if you engage in a spiritual practice properly. Yeah, so I'll give a personal example of this, and then I'll give an example when I was doing it in a way to foster disassociation. So at the beginning of 2020, end of 2019, I was in a two-week meditation retreat, and I think about five days into it, I started to feel like, and it's a somatic meditation retreat, so you're focused on the body, exploring the body with curiosity and presence and seeing what arises. That's the basic premise. So if you get lost in a storyline or a thought in your head, you always come back to the body. The body is the point of focus for attention. This is the same kind of meditation that we teach in our course, by the way. Um, so about five days in, you know, and you're meditating for eight or 10 hours a day, I had really intense anger come up. And I was just getting angry at just random people, like I just trying to project it in my own mind. And I just had to sit with it. 
stay within my body. Um, it was very uncomfortable because for, I mean, I'm sure many of you know, just sitting with your anger is like really sucks. It just gets more and more intense. And that's exactly what happened is it got more and more intense. I was literally like fire going through me at a certain point. And I just had to sit with it for hours for at least a day or two. I was working with this anger. But then something interesting happened and about like at least 10 sessions of me, meaning 10 hour, 10 one hour sessions of me sitting with this anger for a couple of days, I was focusing on the part of my body where I was feeling the anger. And what happened is, is I started to tune into all sorts of memories started to flash before my mind of childhood, of things that even happened to my ancestors, of like, and then deep grief started to come up. So I started tuning into deep trauma from my childhood, which even went back to trauma that my ancestors experienced. And then I was going through this intense grieving process for another like five or six hours, basically, just crying and sobbing and, you know, bear really just profound and, and intense grief. And then at the end of that, after the kind of the grieving had kind of subsided, I felt so much lighter and so much more freer and so much more myself than I had in a really long time because I was able to sit with it. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for a lot of people. I don't even think sitting with anger is the best solution for it. I think it needs something more active. But this is a really good example that I was able to stick through it. And the more I stuck through it, the more I stuck through the anger and the depression and the grief the more there was light at the end, end of the tunnel and I processed something that I had been holding on to for maybe even decades of my life. So that's a story of it going right. And where I felt that it personally went wrong or, you know, it was kind of a, basically a socially acceptable form of disassociation was the first meditation retreat I did, which is actually one of those free quote unquote, free Vipassana meditations that you can go to. I say quote, because they ask you to give a donation at the end and it's not technically free, but you could sign up for free. So uh, that was my first meditation retreat. They're typically 10 day meditation retreats. It's a little bit different from the practice that I was doing, the one that I just shared, because Vipassana, the practice is, is just scan your body from head to toe or focus on the um, your nostrils as a point of attention but don't stay with any part of your body for too long. So that's the opposite of what I was doing in the somatic meditation retreat. I want to point that out. So you just scan from head to toe through your body and, um, and that's the practice. And I did have a really positive experience of divine, I would say divine grace of peace sometime about eight or seven or eight days into the retreat. So I had a positive experience but a few red flags popped up for me. Number one, the first red flag was when I asked the meditation teacher that was there, um, how can you be sure that this practice is not being used as a form of spiritual bypassing? And he asked me, he responded and he said, what is spiritual bypassing? So he didn't <laughs> even know what that meant. Um, and then so that was fine. I just left. I was like, okay, I'm still going to do this. And they say to do it for two hours a day. That's the instructions they give you when you leave Vipassana. And I was doing it for two hours a day. So I was meditating an hour a day in the morning, hour in the evening. And the feeling I got from the meditation I was doing was, it was almost like I was 
I was definitely disassociated, but I felt like I was almost floating above my body. Like I was very detached from my body, from the sensations in it, from my emotions. So it basically I was using as a socially acceptable form of disassociation, meaning I was disassociated before and this was making it more socially acceptable and more tolerable for me to dis disassociate. So I just want to point out that distinction that meditation can be used to heal and it can also be used to disassociate. It all depends on how you're using it. And so that's the main difference that I found is that I personally think that staying with the body and staying, so if you have a meditation where an uncomfortable emotion comes up, to stay with it with gentleness and curiosity and presence is better than just scanning past it. Because when you just scan past it, what are you teaching yourself? To just scan past your emotions in life. And that's personally, I don't think helpful. I think it's better to have a more exploratory attitude. So this kind of leads, yeah, you're going to say something? No, that reminds me, are you done this story? Yes. Yeah, perfect. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Because what you just said, it reminded me also something <clears throat> Excuse me. Why people so easily emotionally disassociate with spiritual biopractices? Because it's painful. Because we don't like to feel these feelings. But the fear of feeling these feelings is actually worse than actually feeling them. Because I'm sure as you experience, I've experienced when you allow yourself to feel the anger, the sadness, the grief, the shame that comes up, and and just even cry and let it out. And just, I agree, anger is a more difficult emotion to process that needs to be more physical release maybe as well, like dance and or anything like that. Uh, we need to allow ourselves to feel them. However, um, there's a saying, it reminds me something actually Reggie Ray said, uh, one of your meditation teachers, that many of us, we tend to identify with, with experiences. That's also the spiritual truth, like the trap of identification. Uh, we identify with our trauma, our wounds, and all of that. But then people take this too far. Then the disidentification turns into disassociation because he made a really good, important point. Yes, you don't want to identify with your experience. For example, when you're angry, you're sad. It's not, I'm angry, I'm sad. You are not that. That's not your true nature. But rather say you have anger or sadness flowing through you, but you still allow yourself to feel it. Yeah, you But have without to. identifying with it. That's the very subtle difference, which is easier said than done. Yeah, right? I mean, Reggie Ray, I think he even says, like, you have to allow yourself to kind of burn in the fire of your embodied experience, which means that whatever comes up is allowed to be there and you need to be with it from a point of awareness rather than a point of identification with the feeling. Exactly. Um, so this kind of leads into the first issue with spiritual bypassing is emotional disassociation. So that can show up as this is a negative emotion. This is a positive emotion. I don't want to feel grief. I don't want to feel anger. It's not spiritual to feel those, feel those things, etc. So that's a common form of spiritual bypassing. And the solution, I think, to this is to accept that all emotions actually have a purpose. And even your fear has a purpose. Even your anger has a purpose. And I just want to quote... Uh, what Masters titled one of his chapters, and he says, stop being negative about negativity, <laughs> basically. And what he says is that, you know, there's no such thing as a negative emotion, but there's negative things that we do with our emotions. But our emotions themselves are neither negative or positive, they simply are. So that's the basic groundwork, is that once you start to get comfortable with all emotions and 
it's not about the emotions, about what you do with your emotions. So we're going to cover some key ones that tend to be spiritually bypassed. So the first one is that I think you want to speak about this is confusing anger with aggression and then pathologizing anger to the point where you don't have boundaries. Yes, exactly. So do you want to read the quote? Yeah, yeah. So that's from Robert Augustus Masters as well, right? Yes. Um, exactly. So he says, anger itself can be a positive force. Getting angry that you have just lost your job may give you the energy and sheer drive to pursue more fitting work, which is obviously a positive thing. Likewise, getting angry about the abuse you're suffering in a relationship will help fuel you to form healthy boundaries, providing much of the motivation and strength needed to either improve the relationship or leave it. So this is really a key point because anger in itself is fire energy. It's a lot of willpower behind it, a lot of creative energy. It's a force to be utilized. It can actually get you up your ass, so to speak, and go on with your life to um, get out of your rut, to push through any hardship you have. It's, it's, it's very positive in a sense if you know how to utilize it or stand up against evil injustice and all of these kind of things if you don't let it overtake you, if it doesn't turn into regression and you project it towards others, so to speak. But anger itself is a very needed positive, much needed force. And I would even argue, I believe Sri Yabunda has even talked about this. I don't have the quote here right now. But one of the distortions of, of spirituality throughout the ages is the idea that anger is bad and we just need to get along and all is one. And that let the groundwork for many cultures, even spiritual cultures, to be um, invaded, so to speak, like the English invaded the uh, the Indians, um, for example, because they were rejecting power. They were rejecting almost righteous anger, in the sense, to stand up for themselves. Yeah, so without a healthy relationship to anger, your internal guidance system that's meant to alert you that it's time to make boundaries, it's time to make a stand, isn't operating in a healthy way. And then what's interesting too about anger and also fear, which we're going to talk about next, is that these are both essential emotions to get people out of disassociation and freeze. Mm. So if you don't have a healthy relationship to your anger or even your fear, you can't actually get out of freeze because that's the step below freeze is getting into anger uh, and ag an, ag an aggression or f or even feeling your fear in a healthy way. And then you can go and do a parasympathetic response. So this is also nervous system intelligence is encoded into this. Um, okay, so let's talk about fear. So that's another problem, our fear of fear. So I hear this a lot too in spiritual communities like, oh, just have no fear. Just don't fear anything. And yeah. You know, um, I actually, um, like, I think it was Chong and Trumpa, he wrote a book about this and it, he called it Smile at Fear. So recognize your fear, have a healthy relationship to fear. Don't let your fear control you as far as doing something that, you know, just kind of makes you uncomfortable, which pushes your comfort zone, which you know you need to do, which you know would be good for you. And I'm going to quote Masters again about this. And he says, perhaps our most contracted emotion is fear with shame and not so distant second. We tend to view fear as negative, resisting its downward pull, numbing ourselves as much as possible to the presence and raw feeling of fearfulness. In many ways, spiritual bypassing is just another strategy to avoid fear, using the anesthetizing capacity of emotional disconnection as its primary tool. 
But if we stay present with fear's energies and intentions, letting ourselves openly feel and track its sensations and coursing through our body, rather than falling into its grip, we will become less fearful of our fear. Many of us are afraid we'll get stuck or lost in fear if we move closer to it. But what actually happens when we consciously enter our fear step by step is that it ceases to grip us so tightly. So basically, entering into a relationship with the fear helps you stop getting lost and identified with fear. Like what I do, for example is if I'm feeling scared about something like so like I mean I post things all the time and people are like oh wow you're so brave for posting that but I just actually have a healthy relationship with my anxiety and fear so if I if I'm aware and I'm feeling fear after an action I've done or something I said that I know is right I just tune into my body with curiosity and just explore the fear like what are the sensations there can I be with this with presence and compassion because fear has a somatic intelligence to us and it helps us get out of disassociation and freeze. So we have to get into fight, which is the anger, or flight, which is fear, in order to get out of freeze. And without a healthy relationship to fear, your internal guidance system that's meant to alert you to get away from danger is not operating in a healthy way. That reminds me also, very well said, um, on Carlos Castaneda's work, Don Juan said something based on the warrior Toltec teachings that a warrior or a spiritual warrior is not fearless. He acknowledges his fear, like you said, having a relationship to the fear, facing the fear, smile at fear, and then act regardless with courage. So courage is having an aspect. There's only courage where there's fear, actually. Courage and uh, is, uh, or the other way around, where there's fear, there we can act with courage. So that goes hand in hand, but it's really about acknowledging and recognizing the fear without denying it. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. You want to talk about this one? So the blind compassion is a big one, right? Yeah. So we talk about, especially in spirituality, we want to have compassion. It's well, very, very important. Well, also mention the, the, the issue, which is judging yourself for judging, which ties into that. The judging, oh, yeah, the whole idea of don't judge others, don't judge yourself, or don't judge don't others. Don't judge other people, exactly. Yeah, basically, even on, on the Bible verse and all of that has been very much taken out of context because you judge every single day by even your thoughts and opinions, by, by your perceptions, you judge. And we need to judge in order to have discernment. I think the distortion comes in when people say don't judge when we project our negative shadow on somebody. When we condemn others, condemn actually. Others. Condemna that condemnation and hostility and mean-spirited elements is what actually Robert Augustus Masters noted in the quote below, which I'll read in a moment, but yeah. that's what characterizes unhealthy judgment. Exactly. So that's, I think, what people say when they don't judge. But then in the spiritual bypass, then we are afraid to even stand up um, for ourselves or for others, or you only have, if there ties in this saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Which there's some truth in that as well, but then easily we can suppress ourselves, our shadow and all of that and kind of tiptoe around even, uh, you know, not standing up for abuse. It really literally ties into blind compassion, which is a big aspect. Because again, from spiritual, from a spiritual perspective, we want to be compassionate, Right see the self in the world, the divine in others, be compassionate and all of that. But then we can easily fall into the trap of blind compassion. In, in Buddhism, I believe it's called idiot compassion, where we then even don't stand up for abuse. We justify, we literally justify abuse, right? And stay in unhealthy relationships, don't make boundaries, 
don't stand up for ourselves. So, so do you want to read the quote and, and, and define it so that people yeah. uh, understand what we're referring to? Exactly. So let's just get into the, that's why uh, Robert Augustus Masters, right? Yeah. So blind compassion is rooted in the belief that we are all doing the best we can. When we are driven by blind compassion, we cut everyone, everyone far too much slack, making excuses for others' behavior and making nice situations that require forceful no an unmistakable voicing of displeasure or a firm setting and maintaining of boundaries. These things can and often should be done out of love, but blind compassion keeps love to meek, sentenced sentence to wearing a kind face. This is not the kindness of the Dalai Lama, which is rooted in courage, but rather kindness rooted in fear and not just the fear of confrontation, but also the fear of not coming across as a good or spiritual person. That's again, actually the ego hijacks it, right? The whole idea of compassion. Uh, when we engage in blind compassion, we rarely show any anger, for we are not only believed that compassion has to be gentle, we are also frightened of upsetting anyone, especially to the point of their confronting us. This is reinforced by our judgment of anger, especially in its more fiery, fiery forms, such as something less than spiritual, something to be equated with ill will, hostility, and aggression, something entrapping us unrelentingly positive... Uh, sorry... Uh, something that should not be there if we were to be truly loving. Blind compassion reduces us to harmony junkies and trapping us in unrelentingly positive expression. With blind compassion, we don't know how to or won't learn how to say no with any real power, avoiding confrontation at all costs and as a result, enabling unhealthy patterns to continue. Our yes is then anemic and impotent devoid of the impact it could have, we were able to access a clear, strong no that emanated from our core. When we mute our essential voice, our openness is reduced to a permissive gap and undiscerning embrace, a poorly boundary, boundary receptivity, all of which indicate a lack of compassion for ourselves in that we don't adequately protect ourselves. Blind compassion confuses anger with aggression, forcefulness with violence, judgment with condemnation, caring with exaggerated tolerance and moral maturity with spiritual correctness. Yes. It's a brilliant quote, yeah, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and I can see, you know, because a big issue in my life was actually lack of boundaries. Mm -hmm. That was something that I had even since I was a child. Um, and then when I learned about certain spiritual ideas like compassion and entered the spiritual path, I definitely was practicing blind compassion when I just needed to make a boundary and say no. And I think this is a critical issue because if you don't know, I mean, a lot of the people I speak to, too, and do sessions with um, have issues with like, especially when they work in healing fields or helping fields, say no. But if you don't learn how to say no and make boundaries, you're going to get eaten alive. Like you're going to get your energy sucked dry and you're going to feel terrible. You're going to feel resentful. You're not going to enjoy the work you're doing. So having boundaries is essential in order to adequately protect ourselves from being taken advantage of. You know, I, I had the hardest time to do this myself for many years. And from a psychological perspective, it also ties into codependency. Mm -hmm. I had a really hard time standing up for myself saying no, because if I would say no, then I would maybe get rejected by the person. Yeah. You know, not only relationship, but in any, any uh, uh, life situation, it results to childhood trauma, where when we maybe voiced our displeasure or discontent uh, to our caretaker and we said no maybe then the love was 
rejected, so to speak, by our caretaker when they actually should have acknowledged that. Yeah. And then we that turns into codependency. And then we're also very concerned about others, you know, feelings, which is fine. Compassion, you want to be considerate, but to such an extreme that you're afraid of hurting the other people when you say no. Yeah. It actually reminds me, uh, it was actually Leanne, um, Leanne who, shout out to Leanne, who um, has the Love Evolved podcast, I think she calls it. She's taken our course. She teaches in our course a lot of time about relationships, but she had a she had a video recently that boundaries are the great revealer, meaning like they reveal a lot of people in your field because mm. any healthy relationship that you have is going to accept your boundaries, you know, as long as they're reasonable. Obviously, people can also abuse the concept of boundaries, but that's a conversation for another day. But any because uh, I've had this experience quite a few times where I've had to make boundaries with certain clients or people I'm working with and they get so furious and so angry with me just for mm. saying, hey, no, I can't I can't help you with this, but I'm happy to refer you to someone who does, you know. So we have to also as we learn how to say no and set healthy boundaries, we have to also understand that there will be people who have benefited from our unhealthy boundaries who make it very angry at us changing the rules of the game. So learning how to say no and standing up to um, abusive behavior can actually reveal a lot of people in our field who have been benefiting off of our loose boundaries. So we need to also be connected to our own truths about that. So, so tying this then, what we talked about into the do not judge yes, idea. Yeah. There's another excellent quote we want to read uh, by Robert Augustus Masters. Much of this behavior has to do with popularized notion that we shouldn't judge others. There are some very serious problems with this kind of thinking. First of all, we do judge others. Judgment is simply one of the things that the mind does, exactly what I've said before. We contents consistently judge. To make it wrong, that is, to judge our judging, only drags us into guilt's domain, splitting us into good, read not judging, and bad, read judging. The mind, your mind, my mind, everyone's mind will keep churning out judgments because of that, it's its nature. By the way, on a side note, I was laughing because I think always of the idea of some new age person, why do you judge? Don't judge. Well, that idea of not you're judging me for me, judging. Exactly, you're judging, you're judging me for judging. judgments. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, this also ties in with basic Freudian psychology as we have a super ego, which is our voice of conscience and our, the societal voice of conscience, not the inner voice of conscience, but yeah. it's constantly judging. It's how we yes. keep ourselves safe. It's how we organize reality. So it's already there. And I mean, continue with the quote because yeah. he says the healthy version of it. Exactly. So he continues... What really matters is how we handle our judgments. Do we identify with them? Do we take them seriously? And if so, when? Do we allow them to recruit emotional energy? Do we try to, try to rise above them? Or pretend that they aren't there? That's a big one. In short, judging others is not the real issue. What is truly important is how we deal with our judgments, since they are already there. Why not make wise or life-giving use out of them instead of trying to get rid of them? The second problem with the notion that we shouldn't judge others is the fact that judgment per se is not necessarily a negative phenomenon. Strip away the hostile, condescending, or mean-spirited elements that often characterize judgment, basically negative shadow projection, and you might find a kernel of valuable insight and perhaps a timely intuition amidst what is left. Judgment is not necessarily equivalent to condemnation. Exactly. Yeah, that's the key thing. So strip away, as I said, the hostile, condescending, or mean spirit elements and 
judgment can actually lead you to a valuable insight or intuition. That's the key thing. So if you're not, I mean, we are, judgment is actually a healthy function of the psyche when it's operating in a healthy way. We, we're not, we're, we're not overly judging and condemning ourselves or overly judging and condemning others because, you know, you make judgments all the time. You make judgments on when you're driving constantly, you have to make judgment calls, even though it happens unconsciously because it's often happening on autopilot by them. You make a judgment. Oh, do I want to work at this place? Right. I do not want to work this place. Do I want to date this person? Or do I not want to date this person? So we have to have this part of ourselves operating in a healthy way. And this is how it links into blind compassion is that no judgment and blind compassion go hand in hand. And it's a perfect recipe for ending up in relationships and jobs and situations that you don't want to be in because you've turned off your critical fact faculty of discernment. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so the cure for blind compassion is really real compassion and real compassion begins with how you approach your own emotions. Do you validate your emotions? Do you recognize them? Do you see the intelligence with them? Do you see the wisdom in, the, in your own emotions? So if someone hurt you, it is more important to acknowledge your pain than to bypass it with spiritual truths like this happened for a reason or they're just showing me something I need to learn, which may be true, but take a moment and actually acknowledge what you're feeling rather than using a spiritual truth to bypass them. That's the critical thing of learning true compassion. Because in practicing blind compassion, we actually deprive people of learning and facing the consequences of their actions. So it can enable bad behavior and even worse, it can enable abuse. So that's the danger of blind compassion, that if we're not, like if someone hits you, do you think it's like the, the right thing to do is to be like, oh, you're hurting right now. Like, I'm so sorry. No, move away from the person who's hitting you. <laughs> like, so we want to... This is a really critical thing. And I have to say, this is one that I still sometimes struggle with because my mind will go into all these stories on like why, what I should be doing and what is the most spiritually enlightened thing to do from a compassionate perspective. And then I deny what I'm actually feeling about those situations. So I want to note that that's one can be hard to practice. Mm -hmm. Um, also, another thing is don't be afraid of confrontation, which ties in with being able to say no, make boundaries. Like I still get uncomfortable saying no and making boundaries. I have to do it as a survival strategy. If I didn't learn how to do it, I would be exhausted and worked to the bone and I would be like burned out all the time and like hating my life and everything I do. So I've had to learn to stay no to, to sustain my energy. So don't be afraid of saying no, of it having, it sometimes can be a little bit confrontational, especially if the person is benefiting off you having no boundaries. Um, you know, on that note, really quick, because yeah. I've dealt with this, and I'm sure you as well. If you really fall into the trap of blind compassion, have a hard time making boundaries, saying no, when you first start doing that, guilt will come up. Many times when I said no, automatically I feel guilty for saying no, or I might have hurt the other person, right? But that's not real guilt. This is toxic, un ties, ties into unconscious toxic guilt and shame. This is not guilt based on conscience. This is based on a childhood wound. So you need to work through this for this uncomfortable uncomfortable emotion and still make your boundary despite the guilt you may feel. Yeah. And then also, if you do feel guilt, sometimes I feel anxiety when I make boundaries, like take care of that part of you. Like that's how you be more self-compassionate. So if you do feel those emotions come up, take a moment, recognize what you're feeling, acknowledge it, nurture that feeling. Like, cause that can actually be a wounded inner child part who 
was wanting to make boundaries and this whole time, but is afraid, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble with mom and dad if I say no, because I'm not allowed to do this. So that can be a good opportunity for healing the codependent parts of us. Um, okay. And then lastly, don't confuse being loving with putting up with anything anyone does and never judging them. And then get into a healthy relationship with judgment. So you can judge, but don't condemn. So strip away the hostility and mean-spirited aspects of the judgment. And then see, do these judgments actually have a message or an intuitive insight for me? Is it actually giving me guidance and information? Because judgment is almost like the healthy father archetype. It can lead you where you need to go and help you make the correct decisions in life. So we need this desperately in this world. And then just to close off, um, this is my kind of favorite quote in his book that kind of summarizes how to stop spiritual bypassing. And it was from Robert Augustus Masters again, spirituality is not an escape, but an arrival. So he means that you're not escaping yourself. You're not escaping your emotions. You're not escaping, you're not escaping even your past or your history. You're arriving into what is already there. You're arriving to your true nature. You're not arriving to the truth of who you really are. And you're arriving to the truth of how you're feeling. So you're not using to escape, but arrive more into your body. And then, you know, the basic thing is to, and this is something we'll talk about more in the second hour when we, when we talk about John Wellwood and his perspective, but the importance of psychological work along with spiritual practice is the key thing. So psychological and emotional uh, work is best done hand in hand with your spiritual practices. So maybe you focus on one or the other at certain times but they need to merge. They need to marry. That's how we'll get the best benefit out of our psychological work and our spiritual practice. Um, and then be more comfortable with moving towards our pain, not away from it. So instead of engaging in spiritual practice with the idea that they're going to make us feel better, engage with them with the idea that they'll make us get better at feeling, get better at our relationships, get better at handling the ups and downs in life. So yeah. And also, this in-depth psycho-spiritual work is really what we focus on in our uh, group coaching program, Embodied Soul Awakening. You can always check out the newest dates uh, at thetimeoftransition.com. Yeah. So just to kind of give a little preview, on the second hour, we're going to talk more about John Wellwood's theories. So he talks about grasping, rejecting, and desensitizing as the main causes mm -hmm. of spiritual bypassing. We're going to talk about this conspiracy rabbit hole spiritual bypass, which is another popular thing we see coming up where people get into conspiracy information, even driven as a trauma response, and it worsens where their state of mind psychologically and emotionally. We're going to talk about the problem of premature forgiveness, um, the issue with creating a new spiritual identity um, to basically replace the old dysfunctional identity how the starseed idea and the wounded inner child can be related, um, spiritual narcissism and identifying with spiritual experiences, uh, fake niceness instead of authenticity, and the problem of being stuck at a quote-unquote higher floor of your consciousness while everything underneath is a mess. Um, so we're going to share a little bit about that in and, the second hour. And also the conspiracy rabbit hole. Yeah, I mentioned that bypass. one. Okay, we'll dive deep into that. It's a big one. And again, if you're not a member yet and want to have access to the second hour, go to my website, veilofreality.com. Look at the menu for membership or veilofreality.com slash membership. 
and you have access of for of over 120 episodes now of the second hour and the membership forum as well with that being said thank you for listening and until next time <laughs>